This is the Spirited Talk podcast. Stories and conversations about connecting with your friends and loved ones in the spirit world. With over 20 years of study and practice as a medium, here's the host of the show, Trevor. And a very good day to you. Thank you for joining me again on Spirited Talk. Well, this is an interview with a few differences compared with the normal ones. My guest today has spent most of her working life with spirit, but not directly. She might even claim not to be a psychic herself. Yet her work has been very important and ironically not even realised by the majority of people. Today, we'll find out a lot more about that side of her life later in the interview. But first, let me introduce my guest to the actual studio here in Sheventon today and find out a little bit more about her story. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest's name for the moment is Gwen. Welcome, Gwen. It's lovely to meet you and see you in person. And welcome to Spirited Talk. Thank you. It's lovely to meet you. Wow. Oh, it's a hot day, isn't it? It is. It's very warm. Oh. Very warm. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes get sweaty when I've got important guests, and uh, <laughs> not only not only am I sweaty because of that today, but it's baking in I Wigan. Do, I doubt it very much. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, it's lovely to meet you in person, and as I said, welcome here. You've not had to come too far, though, have you? No, I haven't. I live in Southport, so it's just a half-hour drive. Yeah, and have you kind of lived there all your life? No, my husband and myself moved into the uh, Southport area in the early 90s. Prior to that, we lived in Liverpool, and that's where we were both born. When you say born, let me have a guess. Uh, were you born uh, late 70s? <laughs> no, late 40s for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness, I'm getting old. I oh, that's unbelievable. I can't believe that. Have a geriatric in our midst. So anyway, let me spend a few minutes, as we do on Spirit to Talk. We'd like to find out a little bit about you. And, and this first half of this double episode interview, this first half is all about you. And why shouldn't it be? So let's have a look at your family life. When you were growing up, did you have any brothers and sisters? Uh, yes, I have an older sister and a younger brother. We were brought up on the outskirts of Liverpool. I was brought up on a farm. My dad was into farming, dairy farming. And yeah, I had a very good, happy childhood. Oh, wow. My next question was, what do your parents do for a living? So actually on the farm. So you had plenty of space around you. Oh, yes. Lots and lots of space. And I was very fortunate. I did a lot of pony riding, then horse riding, fell off an awful lot of horses. A few aches and quakes at this late stage as a result. But yeah, yeah, I had a very good childhood. Obviously, I would guess that your dad was, it was a struggle, money-wise. Farming isn't the easiest of, of, or the most lucrative of jobs. I wouldn't say that we were aware if there were any money struggles as children. We weren't aware because, as I say, if anything of that nature existed, it certainly wasn't discussed in, in front of us. We never went short of anything. We were well-fed, well-clothed and... Father Christmas always came and we always got birthday presents and, and this sort of thing. So uh, we weren't deprived at all if the situation was that uh, money was a problem. So well-loved as well? Oh, absolutely, yes. Never in any doubt. 
That's so nice to hear. I consider myself very fortunate. And your relationship with your brothers and sisters? Yes, absolutely. We're still knocking around together, although obviously mum and dad are long gone. Passed away the year 2000 and dad in 1990. They were Christians and considered themselves to be Christians, but their appearances in church were very infrequent. It was a hatch, match and dispatch sort of association with the church, I'm afraid. But I suppose I never ever did and the conversation never ever came up. But had I thought of asking them, did they believe in God? I'm sure that they would have said yes. And and how were you at those early days? Did you have any thoughts of God? No, not when I was young. But no, obviously we got packed off to Sunday school on a Sunday and confirmed into the Church of England church and the usual type of thing. But it was only as I got into my... I suppose late teens, 20s, I I started considering that there may be something a little bit more. And I've always had the feeling that our lives are mapped out in some way, that there's a blueprint there. Hmm. And however we go about our life, we'll end up at our destiny what is meant for us. Yeah, makes sense to me. Absolutely. When you were talking about Sunday school there, it brought back a memory. My mum and dad thought I went to Sunday school as well. <laughs> I say it, they thought it. They used to give me a threepenny bit. Oh, for the collection. Yeah, for the collection. And I found out that you could get 12 blackjacks for that. <laughs> so I used to go off to the shops and walk the streets for a couple of hours on a Sunday. And it, that went on for years before they found out that oh, I didn't actually ever go to Sunday school. So. Oh, where I lived, it was a very small village, so I would have ever, ever tried anything like that. It, the word would have soon got back to... Uh... Well, how nobody told <laughs> my mum and dad, why is your son wandering around the streets? Oh dear, those were bad days. I was bad, I, I will confess to that. Let's move on like, went to your school years then. What were you like at school? Did you like school at all? I can't say that I liked it and I didn't particularly dislike it either. It was something that you had to do. I, I can't say that I shone. <laughs> I was one of the middle middle of the roaders, you know, not at the bottom but not at the top. And that was it really. I hated maths, quite liked English and I loved history. I loved history and geography and, and these sort of things because they were informative. I couldn't see the point in learning equations at school. I mean, you know, when in maths, what use would I have for them? What you, so you've never used a logarithm since you left school? Never. How surprising is that? <laughs> I know. I, I often think about it, the logarithms, and, and there was another one. Was it anti-logarithms? I don't know. But all this stuff we were taught we'd and never binaries, use. Well, yeah, oh, binaries. Well, yeah. we should use it in computing, but absolutely. <laughs> when you talked about history being your favourite mm. subject, and was it geography you said? I love geography yeah. too, yeah. Was it because you liked the teachers? No. It was, I shouldn't say this. I, I didn't dislike the teachers. They were teachers and that was it. No, I loved the subject. It was just fascinating. Well, I must confess in old age, I wish I'd have studied something at school instead of messed around. <laughs> it was uh, a terrible time for me. Did you have any dyslexia problems or anything like that? I'm asking that no. for a reason. No, no I didn't. No. My husband did. Yeah, well, that'll make sense later on. I'm amazed how many guests that I've spoke to have 
told me of the dyslexia they yeah. had. And yeah. yet, when I was like a kid uh, going to school in the 60s, dyslexia wasn't heard of. So there no, was no way no. of it being defined. Oh, it certainly wasn't recognised. I mean, when I was at school, it was in the, the 50s and early 60s. Yes, there were people in the school and you would recognise now that they did, they were dyslexic, but they were sort of discarded into a, a lower class because mm. teaching in, in those days tended to concentrate on the people that could e easily be taught rather than maybe people who have a problem in some way. And so, of course, they weren't easy to teach and, and they just really got discarded. Yeah, I, I must confess I learnt to work the system at school. I, I once got towed off for doing something. I think it was taking the biro out of a pen and flicking paper through it. You know, you oh, flick yeah. it and a piece flicked onto the board and it stuck there and the teacher knew it was me. Didn't even turn around and went, Baldwin! <laughs> go into the rough room, or the room at the back of the class. And there was this room at the back of the class. And you used right. to go in there and you have to shut the door and, and stay in the dark. But it was I liked that because in there is where they kept all the rough books. Do you remember the rough books? Big, thick rough books. Mm. Well, they, they kept them all in there, so I used to put a few down my pants. And, <laughs> and if you could ruffle around in the dark, you could find the tuck shop stuff as well. So I used to come out the, I used to come out that pockets classroom, full. Yeah, pockets full of licorice, you know, the long stringy red licorice yes. and rough books, and yeah, oh yeah. So I used to get into trouble a lot deliberately, but I'm not encouraging this. You know, uh, people should behave themselves. Moving on, let's get on to your story, Gwen. I'm quite excited talking to you, I must admit. So are you a typical northern lass? Are you one of these young ladies? When you were younger, were you into the nightclubs and the music scene? Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm old enough. I'm fortunate enough to have been part of the swinging 60s. And, uh, yeah, I, I worked in a couple of nightclubs. I mean, I had my daytime job, but a couple of times a week I'd go and serve behind the bar in one of the Liverpool nightclubs. I was thinking you were going to say the cavern. No, not the cavern. I think the original cavern closed down. Yeah, right. it did, didn't it? Uh, yeah, there is a cavern now, but of course it's not the original one. Yeah. The original one was horrendous. Yeah, People wouldn't be allowed in there. Yeah. It was so small, wasn't it? It was small. It was sweaty. There was no ventilation. It was a fire hazard. It had everything, nothing going for it. So here we are. We're in the 60s and the 70s. You're off to the nightclubs. And I would imagine in Liverpool, that's like the heart of it for this country. Well, it was because the Mersey beat was, they were all top of the pops. And then I, when I was 19... I went to London. I lived in London for a couple of years. I shared a flat with a couple of girlfriends and saw the Carnaby Street and all this sort of thing and had a really good time there. What was your favourite then? Favourite music. Yeah, favourite music. Oh, it was all of it. I, I couldn't say I liked this or that. So if Fairy came on the radio, would it not send a shiver in your body? I love hearing it. Jerry Marsden, he was sort of very much on the club scene in the in in those days but no it, it's the whole atmosphere isn't encapsulated into one 
song. It's mm. lots of different things. Yeah. Well, I'm a me. southerner, so the way southerners looked on the northerners, it was like with, with great, you know, envy because you had really? like a Wigan Casino, and then there was everything going on in Liverpool and Manchester. It was the yes. two places where it was happening. So yes. I'm kind of envious because I certainly wasn't part of that yourself. So you haven't got one single record now that you could say, "Oh, I like that record." That's the one for me. No, I wouldn't say so. No, because as I say, there are so many that that I love hearing, not just one song in particular I get that because when I ask the question I sometimes think well I bet you couldn't answer I don't think I could actually because (laughs) I had such a a weird range of music as well brought up in a household where they're playing Radio 2 all day I don't know what was on your radio in your house The Archers I can remember The Archers though that Sunday morning that's the one that's the one and I can remember Wilfred Pickles Workers' playtime. That was in the 50s, I think. I wonder, can you remember Sunday afternoons with the Charlie Chester soapbox? No, I don't know. No. Sunday afternoons, I used to be out rain, hail or shine, doing whatever, horse riding or whatever. Anyway, we're, we're getting off the subject here. I'm getting hooked into an era there. Okay, <laughs> let's forget the music. Let's have a look at the telly programmes. What was your favourite telly programme in the 60s and 70s? In the 60s? Well, it had to be Top of the Pops, didn't it? Oh, really? Oh, you like that? Okay. Yeah. And Dad would come in and say, what's that rubbish on yes. it? On the, and, yeah. and, and turn it off. Yeah. And the minute he'd gone back, because he was only coming in for a cup of tea or something, turn it back on again. When you used to go out to nightclubs and you used to come back, were your mum and dad a bit strict with you? Did they, you know, set a watch for you coming? No, they were very good, actually, and very forward-thinking. With my personality, they knew it wouldn't work, so they let me do as I chose to do. If they'd have said, you've got to be in by whatever time, I I would probably have made sure that I wasn't. But my... Life at that time was dictated by what time the last bus ran, unless I knew somebody was around to give me a lift because it was quite expensive. I lived far enough out of Liverpool city centre to make it quite an expensive affair if I needed a taxi. I want you to just stretch your brains a bit here, Gwen. Go back to that era in your mind. What was the earliest big news event that you can remember happening? John Kennedy being shot. You can't go before that? For a big one. Yeah. Obviously, the coronation. That's when we got our first telly. Oh, wow. That's 55? Yeah. And you can remember that? 54. Well, I I was six at the time, yeah. And getting the, the first telly is a bit of an event. I can remember Winston Churchill's funeral on a black oh, and white telly. Oh, that was the first time I ever saw my father cry. What was your favourite film? Favourite film? I really don't know. I can't think of a favourite film at the moment. Because we didn't go to cinemas so much. So, oh gosh. When you were at school, and we're talking about this senior school, what dreams did you have? What aspirations? What did you want to do when you left school? Join the army. Really? Mm, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) My dad taught me out of it. (laughs) So I ended up doing office work. Well, you'd have ended up in Ireland, wouldn't you, if you'd have gone in the army? I suppose so, yes. I think in that time, everybody had to go and serve in Ireland. Do you remember your first pay packet that you brought home? Mm, Yes. (laughs) Six and six. Go on, is it more than that? It was my first wage was five pounds a week. Wow, that much? 
Yeah. What did you say you did? <laughs> Office work. <laughs> yeah. Were, were you looking after the money by any chance? <laughs> Crikey, five pound. A week. <laughs> yeah, even so. I mean, the five pound notes in them days was twice the size they, they are were now. Wide. The, uh, the five pound notes were the big white ones yeah. in those days. Wow. The ones you, nobody ever saw. I'm just thinking my dad, I remember him coming home from work in the 60s, and I'm sure he only earned seven pounds or something like that. It was crazy money. One of the house they had at that time only cost 300 quid. So, Well, this is it. Everything's relevant, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, so, I mean, an, an ordinary house would cost five or six hundred pounds. And of course, everything was so much cheaper. Well, yeah. everything was relative. How are you with the, Right, I'm looking at you straight into your deep blue eyes there, and they are good blue eyes, people. <laughs> you, I am. I'm looking into the hazel. Huh? Huh? Oh, I've got the wrong glasses, glasses on. Sorry. <laughs> Flattery gets you nowhere when you're my age. Uh, what a waste of time. How, well, I was going to ask, how are you with a boy? Didn't they flirt around you? Did you like them? Well, obviously, yeah. You know, sort of, I mean. <laughs> It was, yeah, I was just an, an ordinary girl at the time, you know, sort of, yes, had boyfriends and went out with people and this sort of thing, yeah. You see, people are thinking, why is he asking these questions? Trust me, wait till part two of this interview <laughs> and this will all make sense and there'll be a lot of you listeners just going back, I've got to go and listen to episode one again now. <laughs> It'll all make sense, you've got to stick with me. Right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a little short break now and then you're going to answer one of Arthur's questions. Now, unlike the normal guests that I get, I'm not going to give you 10. Arthur's already chosen a question for you all in right. this first half. So we'll take a short break. Spirited Talk and the podcast playlist are free podcasts. If you would like to make a financial contribution to the project, please visit our patron page at spiritedtalkpodcast.com and Spirited Talk Podcast is all one word. Thank you. Hello, I'm Adam Berry, spiritualist medium from Berry Lancashire, and I love listening to Spirited Talk on my way to work really sets me up for the day and you know it's so convenient because you can pause it and pick up where you left off at any time and there's some wonderful pod classes too. My name is Daniela. I come out Nederland and I woon in Enschede. I ben a spiritualistisch medium and a spiritualist healing medium. I luister naar spirited talk in my bed before that I ga slapen. Hi, my name is Marlene Walgar from Hassocks in West Sussex. I'm a medium, teacher and healer. And I love listening to the Spirited Talk podcast because I find it fascinating to get an insight to other mediums and spiritual workers' lives. I find them really inspiring. Hello, my name is Neil Bradley and I'm a spirit medium. If there's one thing I could say to someone who's wishing to explore the potential of being a medium, it's simply to just sit in the beautiful energy and allow the spirit world to give you wings. You're listening to the Spirited Talk Podcast. Subscribe now to be part of the growing community. Go on, your spirit knows it's right. And welcome back to the second half. Well, before we carry on, Gwen... Arthur's got a question for you. Normally, you're given a choice. This time, you've got no choice. Arthur, the voiceover man, he's got the perfect British voice. He's going to read a question that he'd like you to answer. Are you ready for it? Will you answer it honestly? I'll answer it honestly, if I answer it at all. (laughs) Now, that's different. That's different. Here we go, then. 
Let's listen to this question. Hello, Gwen. What annoys you most about some mediums? Oh, that was very slowly said. What annoys you most about some about mediums? Some, some mediums. You can, don't make it too personal. I'm no, to- I've... Obviously, well, it's not obvious at this point. I have met an awful lot of an awful lot of mediums, and I, I'm not talking about in working. I mean, just sort of in my life. Yeah, I've met an awful lot of mediums, and some seem to take the view that they're a little bit better, a little bit more important mm. than us ordinary folk, <laughs> and that annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I like your answer there, and I like your honesty. And um, while I've been one that doesn't keep my words to myself, I've often said (laughs) some of the guests that I've interviewed, you know, they've not, you know, been as nice as I would have hoped they would have been, (laughs) considering they represent the spirit world. So let's get back to your story. Thank you very much for that. So where are we? Right, change the tone a little bit here. Who was the first close family member or friend that you lost to the spirit world? A girl that I used to go to school with was the first person that I knew to pass away. And then obviously my grandparents on both sides and various aunts and uncles. There are very few of my family left now. So... But the first time that I was actually exposed to somebody dying was uh, a girl at school, yes. How did you comprehend that at such a young age when it happens? Very matter-of-factly, I would say, because I don't think children really... Death doesn't have the same impact. I'm not talking about a close relation like a parent or a sister or a brother. I'm talking about, as in my case, it was a friend, but not somebody who I was sort of hugely close to. It was a sort of a matter-of-fact acceptance of the fact that she'd gone to live with the angels. It's interesting because I was thinking one of the first was my gran that I remember, and I don't remember mourning it. I was probably 16, 15 or 16, but it meant nothing to me. It just meant that gran wasn't alive anymore because we weren't clingy as a family. Well, yeah, I would say more or less that is the way... As a child, my acceptance was, you know, sort of, they were here, they're no longer here. Although, of course, I did witness my mother's grief when her mother passed away. My dad was a very stoic person who wouldn't necessarily show his feelings. And that was why I found it really strange when I saw him with tears rolling down his face at Winston Churchill's funeral, you know. Wow, yeah. That was sort of like a big moment. Yeah, it's funny how things change, isn't it? I mean, as he got older, obviously, we were older and you do notice things more, but as a young a younger person. When you were younger, and we are only limiting ourselves to sort of the teens to the 20s, maybe, but did you ever, was there any, being a scouser, there was a lot of mediumship and a lot of mediums in and around the area. Did you have any interest in that side of things? I can remember going to see, well, we didn't go, no, we went to somebody's house and the medium came to to do a house party and that was a Mr Flynn who was quite famous in the Liverpool area I don't know what his name was all he was ever known was was as was Mr Flynn so you went with friends or yeah it was at a friend's house and Mr Flynn came along terrified the living daylights out of us all and went away again but I tell you what he was accurate yeah 
Yeah, I didn't realise. It didn't sort of make sense at the time when he was telling me things. And he'd shout at, he'd shout at you if you didn't respond straight away. <laughs> so you'd be sitting there <laughs> quaking in your shoes. But looking back at the things that he, a lot of the things that he told me, they happened over the years. Do you, do you know, you just reminded me, when years ago, I don't know if it happened in this area, I was brought up down south. We used to have gypsies come round the doors selling mm. you heather. And this one lady came round to our mum and knocked on the front door. Mum opened the door and she said, a shilling for some heather. And mother said, I haven't got any money. And she said, then I will curse your family. And she said, well, hang on a minute, I'll go and have a look around. And mum went and found a shilling somewhere, you know, probably robbed it at the rent and gave this there. And the lady, this gypsy lady looked at mother and gave her a reading. She said, your husband's car, he's going to buy a blue car. And she said, well, that's funny because my husband doesn't drive. Well, one of your children's going to have an ear illness and one of them is going to die before you. Man. And it was like, wow, okay. Mum was worried about it. Interestingly enough, about six months later, Dad took his test and he got a Ford Anglia, mm. which was blue. Mm, wow. Then I think one of us became ill. I'm not saying who at the moment. One of us became ill. And then it was like, mother mentioned it like a sour mother that she could be at times she said well one of you is not going to make it till christmas <laughs> so, so we kind of brought up with this like oh god which of us is going to die thankfully we all outlived her and the gypsy oh, well. was wrong <laughs> thank goodness for that although gypsy got two out of three which in yeah. medium terms can't be that bad really so there you go you'd been to this medium what were you starting were you starting to think them you know, you said earlier on you thought there might be something else, but did this mm. influence you much? It, no, it didn't, because my own private thoughts of what happens beyond and, you know, this following of a blueprint had nothing to do with mediumship because I didn't know mediums existed at this point. They were fortune tellers. That's the only way that I ever heard anything or anybody who did that sort of work. They were always fortune tellers. And I can remember telling my mum, oh, I'm going to I'm going to have my car dread by a fortune teller. She said, oh, no, don't go anywhere near that. Oh, I wish you wouldn't go and, and this sort of thing. So, of course, that was enough to make sure that I did go because there was that fear there. Did you ever go to any of the Blackpool mediums? Psychics, I'd call them rather than mediums, on the front? No, not really. I mean, obviously, I went to Blackpool and they were all there. I mean, it was every other... Yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, I went uh, over to Blackpool with Karen Berry, a local medium, and uh, we had a service that evening in one of the churches. And Karen said, should we go to one of these, these psychics? And I thought, yeah. yeah, they don't know us from Harry. Let's do it. Yeah. So we went to this psychic and it had all the stuff outside. You know, this is 17 generations deep psychic, this, that, and the other. And she was Romany and everything. So we went into this tiny little cubby. Oh, uh, Karen went in first. She came out. She said nothing to me. And the lady said, come on in. So I went in and I thought, what a load of nonsense. I came out. I said to uh, Karen, said, did she tell you that um, we were together? I said, yes. Which is, you know, I've got a good wife here and Karen's certainly not one of my, you know, girlfriends. We were just friends. But she, this medium, she'd married herself. She said about how Karen was with me for money, which is interesting because I ain't got any. <laughs> <laughs> 
everything was stereotyped, you know, just look at us and yeah, see what you can yeah. see, what you see. And I was so disappointed because I thought, you know, the Blackpool psychics, they must be the world's best, but mm-mm. No, I, I don't think so. I think it's an awful lot of that type of people seem to have popped up on the internet of late. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Well, we're going to liven this up a little bit now. We're not going to say who yet, but could you just tell us a little bit? How did you meet your late husband? He told me that we met in the, one of the nightclubs in Liverpool, but I don't remember him. <laughs> we met through friends, you know, the sort of knowing the same people and yeah. meeting up at sort of a party situation. Uh-huh. Going, oh, hi. <laughs> Was it love at first sight, do you think? No. Nah. I just, you know, I, I was looking at you and I was just like, no, she's slightly older than that person was. She's a northern lass. No, you don't get me like that, lad. No. Oh, that wasn't the right a, accent. He but. had a gingery tash. Oh, really? Mm. Oh. And how did your parents, when they, you know, you were going out with this fella, what, what did they think of him? Well, he didn't meet them straight away. KG. No, it wasn't even that. It was just didn't happen. I mean, don't forget, I wasn't living with my parents. So, you know, sort of I was, when I met my husband, it was a second husband. Ah, oh, see see my research. changes the whole thing, The whole dynamic. There was one there before him. Ah, okay. And you got shot of him and thought, right, I've known him. (laughs) Yes. Well, that makes it harder because this second husband, this second husband has a lot to live up to, doesn't he? Because you've learned a lot of lessons. (laughs) Oh, yes. And you've seen a lot of life. And a gingery tash didn't fit into the picture. (laughs) No, don't keep saying that because I had one as well. I'm just thinking how embarrassing it was. I had a CNA suit in those days. It was my best clothing. Everybody's suits were from CNA. CNA, wasn't it? I had a green one. And and I remember once we went at strawberry picking in out in the countryside. Not in a suit. Yeah, yeah, I did. Really? I loved it. You know, you try to nick someone. You're. Like, I put loads of strawberries <laughs> in my pocket. Guess what? You 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 read. Oh, yeah. oh dear, that suit was ruined. Every time I went out, I always had a hand down by my side. They said, "Oh, look at him, bless him." But still, nice suit. It was because my hand was covering up the, 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 the strawberry stain. Oh my god! So he was number two mm. at that time. How long did he take to pop the question? Not very long, really. But it actually took us ten years to get married. Because having tried it once, I wasn't sort of so keen to repeat the process. And in the end, he arranged all the wedding day and whatever and didn't tell me. Tell mum and my sister and my brother and this sort of thing, you know. They were in on the joke and I got told a week before. And I know that we haven't said who it is yet, but I mean, he was obviously a scouser as well. So did you have... We had a child each from previous marriages our previous marriages, but we didn't have children together. And do you remember where your first home was together? Uh, yes, in Southport. Oh, right. This, where you are now? No, not where. Another one. <laughs> and at the time of meeting this mystery man that we're talking about here, mm. what did he do for a living? At the time when I met him, he was a sports coach. But he had a career prior to that, and I don't know whether you want me to tell Yeah, 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 yeah I do. He was a I'm... professional footballer prior to that. I know, yeah, I did know that. I don't know what club, though, because you haven't said I'm guessing somewhere like Tranmere? No, he started off with Liverpool as an apprentice pro. He was headhunted by Bill Shankly. And then he became a 
professional. He he turned professional, but at that time in Liverpool, it was full of internationals, and he just couldn't make the grade, and he never played for the first team. And so he moved. I think he went. Bearing in mind that I wasn't with him at the time, so mm-hmm. I'm working yeah. from yeah. You, you know some memory of what he said. I think it was Stockport, Wrexham, and, the, and then he ultimately went out to Australia oh. and played in the first the Premier League there. But when you met him, he moved. He was still in sports, he, but he was coaching. You said he was. Yes, yes, he was coaching. He'd had an injury, a knee injury, that put a finish to his professional footballing career. So yeah, were times tough in those days, cash wise? Yeah, it was skint. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I kind of He remember. was obviously paying maintenance for his son and... Yeah, um, and were you still working? Oh, yes, I was working, yeah. I'll tell you what, Gwen, I, I don't know about the listener, but even I'm intrigued to find out who this mystery man is. And I think it's time to draw this first episode to an end. But before we go, your full name is Gwen... Cora Johnson. Right. <laughs> and your late husband's name... Derek Acora. Oh, wow. <laughs> In the next part of this story, we'll find out more about Derek, his work and your life with this amazing man. But for the moment, Gwen, thank you for talking to me today and we'll see you in part two. Thank you, Gwen. And that brings another episode of Spirited Talk to a close. A reminder that there are many ways you can support these podcasts into the future. Start right now by subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. You are also welcome to join our Facebook podcast community group where hundreds of listeners and the guests come together to be part of Spirited Talk. If you'd like to contribute financially from as little as £5 per month, you can become a partner and access exclusive content and know that you're helping to keep this valuable information source going into the future. You can find out more about this and much more on our website at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. A huge thank you to my partners and to my guests today. From me, Trevor, thank you again and goodbye.